Normally, we start with someone reading the scripture over there, because I like to kind of get started into the sermon um, after hearing the text out loud. But I, I asked Kenny, and I said, you know, this is kind of a text that might make you blush to read, so maybe you want to just let me uh, handle reading this story in the midst of the sermon. Uh, and so this is one of those stories that is, is, it challenges the way that many of us have encountered our Bibles, because many of us who grew up in church grew up in Sunday school, and so you got a children's Bible version of the Bible, and then it's hard, sometimes you don't ever go back to these stories and see what's actually happening in these texts. Uh, and so there's going to be, um, maybe not for regular primetime viewing family audiences story today, uh, but I think there's something really important in this story. And so this story is, you know, we're doing a series on resilience in the book of Ruth. And resilience is that ability to adapt or to bounce back from trauma, adversity, stress. And so we've seen Naomi and Ruth who have lost everyone that they've held dear. Naomi lost her husband and both of her sons. And so Ruth lost her husband. And they made the decision to go back together to Jerusalem, or to Bethlehem, which is just outside Jerusalem. And Ruth was a Moabite woman, so she's a foreigner that's kind of joined into this family, and that's really not an easy task for her to go back to Bethlehem. And so last week we looked at how they had no financial options for themselves as widows. Um, it's a, it was a male-dominant patriarchal society in which uh, they were the ones who took home money and could support people. And so here they were without anything. And so Ruth went out to do what uh, those who had nothing were allowed to do, which was to go behind the workers and try to pull from the leftovers of the harvest, the things that didn't get harvested, and to try to eke out you know, enough of that stuff to survive. And she found favor, that she found someone who treated her well, that allowed her to work alongside of his servants. And so they were getting by last week. Getting by okay. They were getting enough food to survive. Uh, Boaz was giving kind of his word to tell people in the field, hey, don't harm her. Because here's a woman out by herself in the middle of the field in the day, and she's at risk. And so he's told the people there to protect her and not to hurt her. And so you might think, well, that's enough. The story can kind of finish. They're going to be able to survive. But the story keeps going because there's still reason for them to want more for themselves and their life and for them to have a new day. And so uh, there's, there's an issue in this text that we're going to get to, which is that Ruth is going to have to be very vulnerable for them to kind of get ahead in the story to make a new day. She's going to have to make herself incredibly vulnerable uh, and put herself at the mercy of somebody else. And so uh, I hope that when we get to the end of the story that there will be a word of courage and a word of encouragement for all who are facing struggles because many of us face uh, all sorts of difficulties in this world and I think we can identify with the story. So I'm going to read the very first verse of Ruth chapter 3 to set the scene. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. So she's gotten some food 
but she says, I want to get some security for you. Now, that's kind of an interesting translation because the Hebrew is more literally a place of rest for you. And maybe you can identify with that feeling and that concern and that desire that in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of the chaos of life, you just wish you could just rest. That you have enough security that you can just sit down, relax for a minute, and not always be concerned, always be stressed, always be worried that you're going to make it through the day. And so that's what they're doing right now is, yeah, I can eke out my living throughout the day, but I want a place of rest for you. And so that's, that's the concern. There's some little bit of security. And so I want to mention why that situation is not good enough currently. So Boaz has told people to protect Ruth, not to harm her. But she's still at the mercy of everybody. She's having to work on her own. She's having to go out in the fields. Uh, she's having to work hard. And so she's still at risk, even if Boaz is telling people to treat her nicely. And there's a second reason. In this ancient Near Eastern mentality, in, in ancient Israel, they didn't really have a, uh, a theologically uh, well-developed mentality about an afterlife. Everything is this life-oriented. And so for them, to live forever is about having your bloodline continue on. That you have kids, and they have kids, and they have kids, and that your life goes through them. And so there is this sort of fallback of, well, it's not great for me, but eventually God's going to take care of me, and it's going to be great in eternity. It's this world or nothing. And so you get psalmists saying things like, God, come in and protect me, save me from my enemies, because if I die, who's going to praise your name? Because it's a this world or nothing. And so for them, you know, for Naomi, she lost her sons. And for Ruth, she lost her husband. And so they don't have an ability to have children. And in that context, that was something that they absolutely needed in their mentality. I want to say a word, though, for those of us who are single or uh, who by choice didn't have kids or not by choice or unable to have kids. Uh, I hope that you hear that you are as valuable and as loved and as adored as those with big sprawling families. But that, that is something that's going on in this text and we just need to know that that's there. Is the need for having children is really, really important in this ancient culture. So until they have kids, they don't really feel like their life has been restored. So that's, that's a tension in this text. So how are they going to fix their situation? Well, Naomi comes up with a plot. Uh, here's, here's Naomi's strategy in the story. Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. Now here is our kinsman Boaz. Remember, we met him in the field last week. Our kinsman Boaz... You know, you work with his young women who work in the field. Uh, you know, when they work in the field, they have to go and they... Uh, it's a little about agriculture. Uh, they needed a wind to do a certain part of their process. And so they would do some work, and then they would wait for that wind. And so they might often sleep next to all of what they had kind of gathered together. And so she says, hey, he's over at that field, and he's been working on the barley tonight. So here's the strategy. Now wash, anoint yourself, put on your best clothes, 
and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now I think when we read uh, in our kind of Sunday school version ways of reading the text, we kind of ignore what's going on. Um, But this is a very explicit plan. Uh, It's, hey, you know, you should probably go wash up. Go uh, put some nice lotion or perfume on. Put on your best outfit. Wait till it's dark. He's in bed. He's had his food. He's had his drink. He's content. And then show up at his bed. Uh, I'll have to... So there's something fun in Hebrew, that as you learn Hebrew, uh, lying at someone's feet is a euphemism. So it's probably not just literally talking about being at the foot of the bed. Uh, Put yourself in a position that he will notice you and he will tell you what to do. Now, this might be seen as a very kind of morally dubious situation. Maybe it's not explicitly inherently wrong or evil or anything like that, but it's at least not going to be looked at amazingly by everybody. And the story kind of recognizes this because, hey, go when nobody can see you. Um, it, it has things about, uh, even when kind of in the aftermath of the story, again, trying to leave so no one, no one sees you leave. Uh, there's concern about whether people will, will find this appropriate behavior or not. Um, so there's some, some concern on that end. But these are women who have no options in their society. Like, nothing, nothing is available to them. We're going to find out that she has that kinsman relationship, and she should be provided for by that family. But no one has reached out to say, hey, would you like to get married? We'd like to take care of you. Um, and so they're desperate, and they are trying to do everything they can to survive and to get uh, a new day and a new life for themselves. So I think we should be wary of any sort of uh, strong negative judgment that we place on people and the kinds of decisions they have to make when they're forced into these kinds of decisions. But that's Naomi's plan. Show up and, and, and he'll tell you what to do. But I want to mention, before we get into Ruth's following of the story, that marriage for Ruth wasn't about love or lust, but loyalty. So this situation she's going to is not her ideal. She's going to take part in this out of loyalty. Uh, I want to mention something why you know that this isn't a great love story in the sense of the way that Westerners today think of love stories. Is last chapter when we met Boaz, he addressed Ruth as my daughter. Which gives you a sense of the age gap and gives you a sense of their different standings. And now you have her at his bed, like, it's not her ideal situation. Uh, You also have, uh, when Boaz meets her in this story, in this chapter, he he celebrates her because he's like, you could have gone after young men, whether they were rich or poor, uh, but you showed up here because we have this kind of kinsman relationship. We'll talk a little bit about that and, and that practice. But you could have gone after people that you were attracted to or that, that were better suited for you, but you didn't do that. Instead, 
you cared about your family loyalty and your ties to your mother-in-law. And so in that ancient Jewish practice, they had this Leverite marriage situation in which if, if a spouse died without having kids, that, that, uh, that woman would be uh, able to have kids through a family member. So usually the brother in the story. Now this feels really weird and taboo and strange in our culture, but this was a method in which it was trying to provide and take care of women in need. It might not have been the most ideal way of doing that in the society, but that's what it was. And so Ruth could have left Naomi behind. Remember back in first, the first chapter? She could have left her behind, but she instead went with her home and instead found a relative of Naomi to carry the line of Naomi forward and to be loyal to her and her family. And so uh, Naomi can't have kids, probably by age in this story. So Ruth is the one who is taking that part to have kids so that her and Naomi would have new life come through them. And so Ruth goes out vulnerably. You know, it, it just says in the text, she said to Naomi, all that you tell me, I will do. She's, she's incredibly loyal and incredibly uh, obedient to her mother-in-law in the story. And so she goes out vulnerably, trying to secure a place of rest. It's always interesting when this becomes like this great love story or something like that. Uh, it's not about that. It's about loyalty to find some rest and to find new life for your family. And so she goes out and she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then Ruth came stealthily, again, like I was saying, why you could kind of sense that it's a little bit, it could be seen dubiously from others. She went stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, Boaz was startled because he turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman. And he said, who are you? As he startled in the dark. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant for you are next of kin. And that's kind of like an engagement, a betrothal type of act. Spread your cloak over me, accept me as the next of kin uh, for this marriage. And he said, well, I want to stop there. Because she, like, think about how proactive she is having to be to survive in her society. Um, it's more common today that you might have uh, um, kind of the woman make the marriage, the marriage engagement announcement. But I just wanted to see, uh, anybody in here as a woman, uh, did you propose to, to somebody? Nobody? Um, so, like, that's what's happening here, is she's made that marriage proposal, saying, hey, you have this kind of responsibility, take me in. And so that's what she's done, and she's made herself vulnerable, um, because she had no idea of knowing how Boaz is going to react, right? Like, no one saw her go out there. She doesn't know what Boaz might do to her. Uh, she has no idea how this is going to play out. And so she's incredibly vulnerable. And Boaz could have taken advantage of her without anybody knowing. 
No one would have known. And we live in a society that's filled with stories from the Me Too movement of plenty of people who have taken advantage of people who thought nobody would know. Um, but here is someone who's actually worthy of being vulnerable with. So Ruth and Naomi thought it was valuable and worthy to be vulnerable to secure a place of rest. And Ruth is fortunate because she's found someone that was actually worthy of being vulnerable with. And so uh, Boaz reacts in this story very strongly. Uh, he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. Because she really had a reason to be afraid, right? He has to tell her, you don't need to be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. Here's a person who's put herself out there, shown up at his bed in the middle of the night, in a situation we'd often might think is a little dubious, maybe. And he's saying, everyone knows that you are a worthy woman. I will accept, you know, I, I want to be able to accept you as in this marriage proposal. Um, because I'm not ashamed of you. You might think that you should be ashamed. Remember last week, she's a foreigner. And she asked, why have I found favor with you when I'm a foreigner? And he's saying, everybody can recognize you're a worthy woman. And see, so he gives a little pause here, though, because this also is showing his worthiness in the story. Though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman, another kinsman more closely related than I. So he's saying, let's do this the right way. Someone else has the, the kind of the ability to accept you as their wife before me. Let's go through the right procedures before we go forward. He says, remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as a next of kin for you, good, let him do that. If he is not willing to act as a next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. And so she lay there at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize her, for he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So, he acted admirably. And he, that's, that might not have been how the story could have gone, but thankfully that is how it did go here. And so, I appreciate that Boaz not only wanted to go through the right procedures about this marriage, he keeps her safe by having her stay that night. He could have said, well, maybe people will think about things badly if they see you here, so like, you should just go home right now. But sending her home at night, who knows who you might encounter, who knows what might happen. So he offers her protection through the night. In the morning, he again cares about her, doesn't want anyone to see her and think of anything. So he sends her away before people could recognize her. But he doesn't just send her away, he sends her away with a gift. And so he sends her with six measures of barley to take to her mother-in-law. Maybe that's seen as a little bit of a dowry kind of gift. Maybe that's a little bit implied. Um, but like last chapter, he kept giving bountifully to Ruth. And so even in this chapter, he says, I don't want you to go home empty-handed. Take a bunch of this with you um, and take it home to your mother-in-law. And so he was a worthy uh, person of being vulnerable with. I, wanna, I really enjoy that the chapter kind of concludes with Ruth getting home after this night out. You can kind of imagine maybe if you've had a parent who waited up for you and you can't get home without them saying, hey, how'd it go? What's going on? 
And uh, Naomi, when Ruth gets home, says, uh, so how did things go with you, my daughter? She's waiting home, waiting at home to hear how it went. And the answer is that things went as well as you could ever imagine. Right? I mean, this story has, has worked out perfectly um, as well as it could. I mean, because she could have been taken advantage of in her vulnerability, but she was protected and provided for. And I want to make sure that we know that all who choose to be vulnerable with God are protected and provided for, and that uh, the God who comforts us and who gives us peace uh, never seeks to harm you, uh, that God and that ability to connect the disconnected um, is never a fruitless path. It's never a path that leads you to despair and destruction. Even though there are hard days, even though there are ugly days, because we have a lot of ugliness in the world, ultimately, the travel to God is one of protection, and it's worth being vulnerable in that. But many of us have chosen to be vulnerable with others, and instead of being treated well, you were taken advantage of. And then it becomes, becomes hard to ever be vulnerable again. Because once you put yourself out there and you were mistreated, you think, oh, I'll never make that mistake again. So we stop taking the opportunity and the opp that chance and that risk to seek something good for ourselves, to seek new life, to seek growth, to seek security, to seek that safe place to rest. There are... Some of the most dear people to me, who I know that, like in the story, that we want to kind of romanticize and make perfect kind of marriage relationships, but many people have entered into marriage, have maintained marriage, not out of love or this kind of attraction anymore, but feeling like it's all they could do to survive, that it was about figuring out how to have a place to rest that night, it was about how, how to have food that next day. And my heart breaks for everyone who, who, who feels stuck in that kind of a situation where they feel like, I have no other options. You're trying to scratch out your way through life and through our society. And you weren't given, maybe, the perfect Boaz. You were just trying to survive. And that's a hard place to be in. But I want, to know, want you to know that you are loved you are cared for, that actions that might seem dubious about how to get forward with life and to have new life and to survive and to breathe again are not ugly, awful things, but can be celebrated, that God can be at work and Ruth showing up at night at Boaz's bed, uh, that God can be at work with whatever you have to do to make sure that you're safe and secure in life. And I know that's a hard place to be in, but I want you to know that you are loved and I hope that you feel like you can be vulnerable uh, here with us. We need a society that doesn't force people like Ruth to have to rely on a Boaz. That's part of that whole the thing last week about how can we make there be so much of abundance that people aren't ever forced to have to be in that scenario. How do we make sure people are provided for and that they know that they're supported and that they know they have a place to sleep at night so that they aren't forced to put themselves at the mercy of somebody else. I hope that 
each of us have a cause worth being vulnerable for? You know, in the story, I want a place of rest for you. I want the security. We need to have that thing in our life that we care about so much it's worth putting ourselves at risk for. Um, I, I had a preaching class, and the preacher um, professor was talking about a situation in which he got kicked out and ran out of a church. Um, kind of a close vote, about 50-50 kind of a situation. Uh, actually over church programs of the directory. Uh, when you do a directory and you have pictures of families, it's obvious who constitutes a family. Not everybody was happy with what constituted a family in that church situation anymore. And so he was pushed out of his church over the people who made up that church. And he was talking in our class and he was talking about, I hope that you never have to go through the pain of being ostracized, but I do hope that you have a hill worth dying for, that you find that thing someday that's worth risking everything for, because we need something worth living for. We need something that's worth fighting for, worth putting ourselves out there for. And so I hope that there's a mission of God's care for the poor, of God's care for the widow, of the orphan, God's care for the misfits, the neglected. I hope that you feel that mission and that you care about it so deeply that you're willing to risk yourself for that mission. And I also hope that along this journey of life that you can find a Boaz, someone who's actually worthy of being vulnerable with, someone that when you share with how you're doing and that it's not great that day, that they can be okay with you, that they can treat you admirably, treat you worthily, that they'll have your best interest in mind, that they will care about preserving um, your dignity. And we all have issues that we struggle with. Some of, some of us haven't shared those. Some of us have shared them. But I hope that you can present yourself to God, that you can uh, spiritually put yourself out there and be vulnerable and show up with your prayers, with your concerns. I hope that you can present yourself vulnerably to this church, that you have people here that, that you can confide in, that you can walk with. And I do hope that you can present yourself vulnerably and safely to your family, whoever that spouse or parent or child or sibling or whoever, whatever that friend is, that's so important. Um, and, and many of us are blessed with that situation, but some of us are not. And so I want you to know that if you don't feel like that's a situation for yourself, you are loved. And we want you to be a part of our family, even if your own family isn't willing to have you and treat you as you should be treated. So if you don't feel safe in that present situation, um, please let somebody know. Because I don't, I don't think anyone should have to live in fear. Please be vulnerable to get out of the dark pit and to imagine that there's a better life ahead and that for Ruth and Naomi, they're widowed, but yes, they can actually still have another life ahead of them. Uh, if, remember when we met Naomi, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. They can have another life ahead for them. And they chose to take that and to take the risk and go for it. And I hope that each of us take that risk for ourselves. So in the end, when you risk everything and open up, I hope that you hear something like what Boaz said to Ruth in the story. 
May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter or my son. For your loyalty is great. Do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, for you are worthy. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we're all on our different stages of our spiritual journeys together, Lord. And I just ask that um, for those of us who feel strong in this moment, who feel uh, courageous, who feel uh, provided for, I ask that you would tender those hearts and to make them attuned to looking for those who are in desperate need of you and desperate need of support. And that we would offer our generosity, our encouragement, our love when it's needed. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are in this space who feel incredibly vulnerable, who feel like there's not a place to rest, that there's not security. Lord, I pray that there might be a new day. There might be joy. There might be celebration and life where there currently is gloom. Lord, help all that are wandering lost to find someone like Boaz, to find someone who will support them and who will walk alongside of them and provide and, be, uh, and treat them as someone who's worthy. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, open our hearts to where you are. I ask that you'd continue to be with this worship service as we sing, as we go out from here, and as we make decisions about um, the upcoming year. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.